Welcome back to the Pesky Report, episode 325, presented by Beyond the Monster. I'm Jordan Leandri, joined by Matthew Crory. Matt, how you doing tonight, man? I could be doing better, not going to lie. Um, feeling just a certain type of way, you know, been seeing all these videos of spring training and seeing, you know, all these free agent moves at the last minute, all the guys that held out until spring training was basically underway. and. Uh, I just, I'm excited for baseball, but I'm not, not, I just can't get excited for the Red Sox right now. I don't know. Do you, you kind of feel the same way? Yeah, I do. I mean, pitchers and catchers just reported two days ago. So with that comes a little bit of the delusion of like, Hey, what if, you know, like Cinderella teams have happened before. I mean, the Diamondbacks last year, 84 wins made it to the world series. So it's like, there's precedent. But yeah, I'm with you. Like this, you look at this roster and like, there are players you can be excited about. Like Masa or two, Devers, you know, Casas, obviously, Bayo, et cetera. But like the team as a whole, especially in the division they're in, not really in love with their with the outlook of the season. And I don't think necessarily Craig Breslow is either. I mean, I'm sure, you know, if you if you asked him, he would tell you something completely different. But you gave him the truth serum. I think he would tell you that he is not expecting this team to make it very far into the season, being sellers at the deadline, et cetera, et cetera. Like you just look at it. I mean, he sellers he, at the deadline. I mean, they're sellers now. They're sellers now. Yeah. We're, we're the season hasn't even started yet. Spring. They haven't even faced Northeastern university yet. And they're already talking about trading. There's reports of Duran being on the block. Kenley obviously has been on the block all winter. They already traded sale. I saw the report that uh, Chris Martin and also John Schreiber have been mentioned in uh, conversations as well. Yeah. So, it, you know, why not just punt them all away? Yeah, seriously. It's really like this is where we've gotten. And then on top of that, though, like, you know, you have the team that everyone kind of expects to be the team coming out of camp. And it's like there's a lot of mouths to feed in the outfield, too. We'll get into that in a little bit, though, specifically about the outfield. We'll talk now about Craig Breslow's comments, um, you know, his sort of intro into spring training, talking about how, you know, this team still has its sights set on the short and long term. But to quote him directly, we can appreciate that things have not turned out as he anticipated. Um. I- you know, he's, he said something similar um, when he was being interviewed. It was either on um, the Fenway Rundown or on um, Baseball Isn't Boring. But I, I can't remember exactly which interview it was um, with either Brad Foe or with uh, Catillo. Cotill- um, but he was like, yep, you know, it just hasn't gone exactly like we anticipated. Um, and then proceeded to say a bunch of other things that didn't really answer a question. But uh, I think that's he, you're going to hear him say that a few other times now in media availability, because I don't think this is the first time he said it. I just think it's the first time people picked up on it um, because it was like right before winter weekend that he said the like the exact same thing. Um, and I think that now that's just become his line um, where he rolls with that. But it, it, it's it's frustrating because. And it, it kind of ties back to um, the winter weekend conversation that we had. I'm sorry, the winter meetings conversation that we had with Gordo when we had him on the podcast. Um, and he talked about the comments Breslow had made while he was down in Nashville. And he had said, oh, um, 
it was around conversations around like starting pitching. He's like, you know, we would we would have loved to have walked away um, with some controllable young uh, starting pitching. He's like, but um, you just can't control that or something like that. Or it was out of our control or some, something along those lines. I can't remember the exact quote right now. But the frustrating piece is that it's exactly something you can control. Like that's the one thing that you can control is your offers in free agency or meeting someone's trade demands when they're willing to have conversations. You can control that. That's, that is your conversation. Um, and for him to say, you know, yeah, things haven't come together the way we anticipated this off season. What do you think that means? Does that mean the budget isn't what he wasn't, you know, expecting? Does that mean he was bamboozled by ownership? Or do you think that's more along the lines of the market was more overpriced than we expected and trade partners were asking for much more? Like, what's your take on those comments? I think there's truth to all of it. Um, I think the market was higher than expected. I mean, especially Yamamoto getting 325 mil. I think when the offseason started, it looked like it was going to be like seven for – or like 10 for like 250, 275 plus the plus the um the posting fee, stuff like that. I mean, Otani ending up ended up getting 700 million. I know they were never real players for him, but 700 mil, that's going to adjust the market a bit regardless. Um for me though, I think first and foremost, it's budgetary. Like I mean, he even said in his introductory press conference that budgetary constraints were not going to be a problem. Like, like there was none. And Tom Warner echoed that by saying full throttle, which I know he walked back. And we've talked about this time and time again since the offseason started, since Breslow got hired. Um, I just think first and foremost, it's a budget. I mean, there's no way that he went into this offseason with, you know, talking all this talk about, you know, I'll have the conviction to make difficult decisions. And then his difficult decision is trading Nick Robertson for Tyler O'Neill trading Alex Verdugo, who like it's like he was the most traded a player has ever been without being traded entering the offseason. Like I've never like I look at him and I've never seen somebody more gone, like more absolutely getting traded than Alex Verdugo was as the season ended this year. Um, Like there, there was nothing difficult about it. Trading him to the Yankees, maybe but, like you got Greg Weissert and a couple minor league pitchers for him. Like, it's not like you made any backbreaking decisions. I mean, I guess trading Chris Sale is a tough decision. I don't want to poo-poo that. I mean, he was a leader, you know, through and through. But, like, you haven't signed anyone other than Lucas Giolito, who had an ERA of almost five last year and the year before. You said Cooper Criswell, who is, like, no disrespect, dude's a pro athlete. I would never come close to that. But, like, I didn't even know who he was when they signed him. Like I like I consider myself pretty well versed in the in the art of knowing who baseball players are, especially Randos. Had no idea who Cooper Criswell was. Like, there's no way that he thought on as we're recording this on February 16th that this team would not have signed a marquee free agent pitcher, whether it be Snell or Monty or Yamamoto. There's just no way. The trade market again. If teams are not budging on outrageous demands, you can't control that. You can you can meet them, obviously, but you also can't really – like if you're not investing money in the team, how are you going to also mortgage the future to go in and bring in a guy like Dylan Cease or Jesus Lazardo? Um, but I do think first and foremost it's budgetary. I think he was flat out lied to. 
I, I really do. I mean, he they were turned down by like eight people before him. It's like, oh my God, we got to do something to sweeten the pot because everybody's saying no. And if Breslow says no, like he's the one guy that really wants the job, then like, who do we have? We got Neil Huntington from Pittsburgh. Like, I, it's- I wonder if, I wonder if when they were talking to him and he like laid out a plan, you know, with like, without a full assessment of the organization, just kind of from the outside, I wonder if he had a rough idea and he's like, here's how I would approach this offseason, right? And he lays it out. And he says, I'm going to trade for a controllable starting pitching. I'm going to give, you know, give up one of our three major prospects, but I'm going to trade for a controllable starter. And, you know, maybe he lays out how he's going to do that. And he says, we're going to follow that up by we're going to bring in this and this and this, right? And then we're going to move this around here. And I, I wonder if he has this plan. And it all hedged around them trading for a controllable starter. And then his first, you know, month in office, you wonder if that was spent trying to get that controllable starter. And when teams weren't budging or teams asking prices were too high and he realized the values that, you know, what we have in our organization was maybe the players were valued lower than we value them. Uh, Maybe they don't see the potential or someone like Jaron Duran maybe doesn't hold as much trade value as you would have thought because of his uh, previous two seasons. So I wonder if it was all hedging on the trades that he was going to have to make. Because his very first weekend, he does the trade with, uh, you know, uh, Seattle for Lewis Urias. And um, who do we get back in that trade? That wasn't Isaiah a- Campbell. Yeah, Isaiah Campbell, right? Who turns out that that was a great trade. That was right off the bat. And we we're like, okay, he's cooking, small move, then the Verdugo thing. And then he, he's definitely active on the trade market. But I do wonder if that's why they haven't spent it's not because they didn't tell him right up front oh we're not going to spend or we are going to spend but i think that they told him we will spend when your plan is in motion and when you're in a where when you're in the space to be competitive and i think he was so confident in his ability to pull off those big trades that ownership was like yeah we'll give you the money to spend at that time but then he couldn't pull off the trades and he still couldn't pull off the trade yet and I wonder if that's why they haven't spent yet. Because when he's talking to Bradfoe, um, Breslow, I mean, when he's talking to Bradfoe and he's explaining, it's not that we aren't going to spend, it's we're going to spend, what did, what did he say? He said, we're not going to let um, spending dictate our plan. We're going to let our plan dictate our spending. Do you remember that quote that he said? I do, yeah. I it was a very that. like interesting play on words. But the way that he positioned it, matches up with these comments saying the offseason hasn't gone the way we've, we've expected it because that's clearly saying the plan hasn't gone the way we've expected it. And if they said that the plan is going to dictate the spending, then that means that there's obviously like a chain of events here that have to happen for them to spend. And I think the first thing that has to happen is there has to be a trade for a controllable starter. And until that happens, I don't think ownership's going to green light the spending. Maybe I'm off, but that's kind of like where my mind goes when I hear these comments. I mean, I honestly think it's a very fair theory. I I don't think I'm willing to give ownership the benefit of the doubt because, I mean, we saw back in like 2007, for example, they didn't really make any trades that I can think of off the top of my head. I mean, they they just went out. I mean, I know it's a different situation. They had just won the World Series in 04. They made the playoffs in 05, then didn't in 06. And they still had Manny and Ortiz. Like, I get the situation's different. But they went out and they just – and they spent more money. Like, that's what they did. After 2017, after – 
two straight years winning the division. They just went out and they spent and they got JD Martinez. They didn't make any trades. They'd done that. I guess they did the previous year with sale. I don't know. I just don't think I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. Now there may be a lot of truth to your, to the theory that you just presented. And I, and I honestly don't want to completely discount it. I just don't know. It's just tough when you see ownership willing to spend so much money in other ventures to think that that money couldn't have like none of that money could have gone, you know, to the Red Sox regardless. I mean, like if Tom Werner is willing to pedal at winter weekend, that if their defense was better, they would have been seven or eight wins better. Like their defense got better. Like Tyler O'Neill is a better outfielder or is a good outfielder. I think probably at this point, a better one than Adam Duvall. You may have lost a little bit from Verdugo, but still. Trevor Story is there for a full year. I think Vaughn Grissom's athletic enough to handle second base. Like Tyler said this last week, like this is a team you'd want to invest in. I I put out a poll um, yesterday or two days ago. You know, just by signing Monty, if you don't add anybody else between now and opening day, you just add Monty, barring injury. How many more wins do you think the Red Sox have? Like, how much better are they? Now, granted, some people think that they're going to win 60 games, so it's not a foolproof poll. But most of the people said they were at least a three or four win better team. And the second place was five to six. So, like, they, like, people, the fan base, and I know that doesn't necessarily equate to what ownership's thinking, but the fan base seems to think you add Monty, this team is making some noise and possibly a playoff team. So, I mean, I guess if Breslow was, you know, like, I'm going to come in, I'm going to trade for Lizardo or Cease or Burns, and ownership was like, all right, you do that, we'll give you money. I mean, I guess it's a good way to build trust, but I, I don't know. I just don't see it. I, I don't think I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt there. No, that's that's totally fair. Um, and I know that ownership shelling out money, like, we haven't seen any extension talks, really, um, this off season. We haven't seen any conversation around Alex Cora's contract. He's going into his lame duck season here as a manager. Uh, what do you think is in place coming up into spring training? This would Cora had some comments. He said, "I don't want to talk about my future with the Red Sox." Uh, Breslow said, "I think he, I think it was Breslow that said he didn't want it to be a distraction. Um, you don't don't let don't let this conversation about the contracts uh, be a distraction." For this offseason, what do you think about Alex Cora's future here with the Red Sox? I think people are overblowing his what he said or what he didn't say. Uh, ultimately speaking, a lot of people and people that are in contract years that are players do the same thing. It doesn't always mean they're gone. Like he he may not be gone, but I do think what was interesting less about the I don't want to talk about this right now was him being very upfront about. He doesn't see himself being a Terry Francona. He doesn't envision himself being a Tony La Russa. Like he's not going to be a manager for a long time. So that is something that raised my eyebrows a bit. It's like what he said, there's more to life than baseball. Now, I don't know if he's just going to stop being involved in any capacity. If he were to leave the Red Sox managerial position, I still think he has a sight set on the front office. He just doesn't want to do it yet. I don't know. I don't know. It's just weird to me, but I, I don't think his comments or lack there or lack of comment really is that indicative of, you know, what his vision is. Although I will say he did not mention that he wants to manage the Red Sox. Like he didn't say like, I want to stay. He just right. didn't mention. He just said he didn't want to talk about his managerial status. So I don't know. It's a confusing situation. 
yeah, it's weird that he wouldn't say like, I love managing here in Boston. I'd love to do that for the rest of my career. Like he's very clear to, to not say that. Um, he did say that he appreciates the Red Sox for giving him a chance and is very appreciative of, of the opportunity that they've given him coming back so soon from his suspension. But I think he might be running, running out of that, um, you know, feeling of, in, of indebtment. Well, that's the I don't even know if that's the right word that I'm thinking of here, but you know, feeling indebted to the Red Sox for what they did. I they barely put a team around in the last two seasons that is even able to like kind of think 2022. It was the year that we had you know, Christian Arroyo playing right field. Um, you know, we had Bobby Dahlbeck playing first base and Franchi Cordero and like these guys are out playing positions that they do not play. It was the most mismatched team you know, we've had in a while. We get that a little bit better in 2023, but we don't have a pitching rotation. And they, they just continue to put a team out there that just makes it extremely difficult for Alex Cora to manage. They don't give him any reinforcements at the deadline. And now there's looking at lowering payroll even lower uh, than before. So, I mean, I don't blame Cora at all if he – wanted to peace out after this year or at least keep his options open like I don't think even if they offered him an extension that he would sign it right now because I think he wants to keep his options open and see what this relationship with Breslow is going to look like and I I think I kind of agree with that like if they don't get along well or maybe they work really well together and maybe Breslow is able to reinforce them throughout the season and early on enough where it makes a difference maybe that does change his perspective on the relationship moving forward but I think right now, I'm not reading too much into it, but I also don't expect Cora to stay if we have another last place finish that continues the trend of the last few years. Yeah, and I think to your point about him wanting to keep his options open, like we don't know what the managerial like vacancies will look like a year from now. Not necessarily a year from now, but like come October, you know, like when the season's over. I mean, when – so like every year for the last you know handful other than 2020 because they won it all – People have been calling for Dave Roberts to lose his job. Now, if he has this roster and they come up short in October, save for like catastrophic injuries, there's a decent chance that he's not going to have his job anymore. And then, I mean, Alex Cora, we know the mutual respect he and Otani have for each other. Yamamoto, I'm willing to bet Cora, if he was in Breslow's position, John Henry's position, he would put all his eggs in one basket to try and net him. Obviously gets Mookie back. You know, like that situation probably would be very appealing to him. Other jobs may also present themselves um, over the course of the season as well. So, yeah, I mean, you'd want to be he'd want to be in an organization that's going to put him in the best chance, best position to succeed. Because after the 2018 season, you know, the best roster the Red Sox have probably ever assembled, um, obviously the best in terms of wins and winning the World Series, you know, 2019 lost Kimbrell, lost Kelly, didn't really replace them. Brandon Workman wasn't their closer till July. 2020 got suspended. 2021 was a rebuild year that ended up getting them very far. 2022 bullpen was a mess. 2023 rotation was a mess. This year it's all a mess. Like I I I would not blame him if he wanted to leave. I just don't know like when I again when I see his comments, I don't think you could really take anything from them. Other than the fact that he didn't say like, oh, I love, I, I want to be here, you know, for the rest of my career. Like, it wasn't like one of like something like maybe Bogarts would say, you know, like, I want to be here long-term 
Cora did not say that. He just well, we also we also might be overlooking the fact that I'm pretty sure the very next day he was out with the flu, like the yeah. stomach bug. So like you wonder if maybe he just like wasn't even feeling good either, like keeping his answers as simple and as direct as possible, and just like no, like I don't want to get into it. You know, I maybe he just yeah. felt like crap that day. Showed up um, for appearances, so it didn't like create a, a thing. And then yeah. next day he was sick. Yeah. Well, I, I made a, I posted on, uh, on Twitter. I said, he's sick of this ownership group <laughs> this is what it is. Is That's why he was called out sick the next day. It's possible. He, he, he had to get up there and talk about the team and how they're ready to go for a world series. And he's like, that made me so violently ill. I, <laughs> I, I can't even come in. <laughs> um, but uh, there were some comments that were made by him as well as Breslow this week. Um, just kind of around the construction of the roster and of that lineup, um, which I know we wanted to get into, talk kind of about uh, what the outfield situation looks like right now. So the first thing that uh, I wanted to kind of point out was from earlier um, in this week on the 13th, Breslow, he pretty much downplayed the need to balance out the rotation with a right-handed hitter. He said, if we have a lot of really great left-handed hitters, I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, so he really, you know, kind of downplayed that, they need that right-handed power bat that everyone keeps talking about, um, which is ridiculous. It contradicts earlier in the offseason when he said – Yeah, he literally right said they, they had platoon asymmetry, and now he's like, we don't need any lefties. Like, what the hell yeah. is there any righties? Like, what the hell, man? <laughs> yeah, and then he said, you know, we don't really – I don't really believe in needing to have, uh, you know, a balanced rotation either. Uh, right now we're full of right-handed, right-handed pitching, no left-handed starters. Um be crazy if there was a left-handed starter out there on the market that was like in Boston already um, unsigned, you know, looking for just a couple of years like that, man, that would be crazy. Rich Hill? That, that was still, Rich Hill? Um, no, the broadcaster. Oh, right. Forgot about that. Rich Hill, the broadcaster. Rich Hill, the broadcaster. Um, so that was the first comment that came out. Um, and then earlier this week, um, they said that if, Rafaela starts the year in the majors, he will be the center fielder, um, which I thought was really interesting. Um, I want to circle back around to that here in a second. There was also the comments uh, from, uh, who, let's see, that was Cora today. And Cora said that Duran um, would be the leadoff guy going forward and that Yoshida would be the primary DH. He didn't even hesitate in answering that question. They asked him, you know, who they think would be the primary DH moving forward. And he just Masa very quickly. Um, so those are kind of the comments from today. I just want to circle back before we talk about uh, kind of overall theme here. Red Sox stats had put out that um, in order to get one extra year of control for Rafaela, if they keep him down in AAA for at least the first 50 something games of the season, they get an extra year of control um, on his contract. So that could actually be, and honestly, it makes a lot of sense for them to keep him in AAA to start the season off until like mid-May and then bring him up and get an extra year of control, especially if he's uh, looking like that type of a prospect that they want to keep around for a long time. So that's those are the quotes. Did I miss anything that you can think of? And what are your thoughts on the outfield as it's currently put together? I don't think you missed anything. I just don't see, unless they make a trade where Rafaela fits 
Like I get, I know that Cora said if he's on the MLB roster, he's going to be playing center field every day, which is good. I like the versatility aspect, but he's wasted at second base, and Story's going to play short. So like, there's no room for him on the infield. Um, he's a center fielder. I wouldn't hate him in right either. Like kind of like more to feed the delusion of the Mookie similarities, like going to right field. But <clears throat> yeah, I just like there's too many mouths to feed. They have to either start Rafaela in AAA, which I would do personally because I just think, you know, what's like it doesn't have to be 50 games. Like I'm not thinking specifically service time manipulation, but I just I thought he looked overmatched at the MLB level. I didn't think he looked intimidated, but I just didn't think he looked ready. He had a lot of strikeouts, missed a ton of pitches in the zone, was like swinging out of his ass. I, I, like, I like him. I think he's a great defensive center fielder. I think he's got power. I think he could really become like the 2020s version of what Jackie Bradley was for the Red Sox for a while. And Jackie Bradley is one of the most underrated players in Red Sox history, in my opinion. Um, I just think it's best for the organization if he's the depth. He's the first call up, kind of like Duran was last year when they brought in Rymel Tapia. Like an injury happens, Rafaela comes up rather than if Rafael is in the majors. I mean, I guess theoretically, like Willier could start in AAA, which I think is silly. He looks ready offensively and he could play any of the three outfield spots. But if Rafael is in the majors and say Willier is as well, and Duran's not traded, uh, Tyler O'Neill, who's the most experienced outfielder you have, is now a platoon bat. And your first guy called up is Dalton Guthrie or Mark Contreras, it's just, it's, it doesn't, it, it just doesn't sound good. It doesn't look good. That would be where I would sit other than trading Duran, which makes a lot of sense as well. Although I'm not, I'm not eager to deal him, but I would trade him for less than it seems like the Red Sox are willing to. And a lot of fans are willing to as well. Yeah. I mean, I really love Duran. I don't want to trade him if I, if we can't help it, but at the same time, we desperately need pitching. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense with San Diego and the rumors going around. I know Name Redacted said that uh, yesterday there was some text going around from people on the Red Sox side, people on the Padres side that it seemed like something was close um, and then nothing ended up happening um, to the point where um, it's focused around Duran, but not sure, you know, what the return was looking like on that side. Um, I'd be interested to know if those are, those conversations have completely died or if they're still ongoing but you know to your point like the other thing that we're not thinking about like we just talked about four guys right five guys if you count Yoshida we didn't even talk about the other three which is um Rev Snyder oh right we've got Rob. Know, our, our, our actual lefty slayer uh that we have the actual platoon platoon bat um which him and Will Willier you know, as like that platoon in right field kind of just seems like it's trending towards being the situation. Because right now, if I had to play it out, it would be Duran and left, O'Neill in center, and then Willier slash Rev Snyder in right with um, maybe some rotation of those guys, depending on the, the field that they're at, if they're at home or away. And then obviously Yoshida at DH, but, you know, Bobby Dahlbeck's been taking outfield reps um in in spring training so far he's listed as an outfielder on the 40-man roster for the red sox so that's another person who can't pablo play outfield too he he also can play outfield and so when you look at the utility versatility of someone like bobby someone like pablo um they don't really need the rafaela versatility right now 
So I think, especially with the service time manipulation in play, it's got to be a factor. I don't see him in any way starting in the majors. And I could even see um, Williers starting in AAA as well if they want Bobby Dahlbeck to have one last chance. Because if they're in sell mode, I could see them getting letting Bobby up back up to the majors, trying to give him as much playing time as possible so they can ship him off before the deadline. That's, that's kind of what I could see being um, a plausible scenario for him. But, yeah, I mean, I, I don't even know if Rev Snyder makes the team coming, coming out of spring training. I wouldn't be shocked if Rob didn't. I think it's silly to cut him because he's makes a million bucks. You're a you're middle class, lower class organization now as you decide as you decided on your own. Rob Ref Center is one of the better bang for your buck players in the in the league because he can hit lefties and he's, you know, one of the better OBP guys, but OBP outfielders in the sport, which is crazy to think about of all of all the the juggernaut outfielders, Rob Ref Center is in the mix for one of the best on base guys. But yeah, I mean, I wonder if this if the similar story is true for Willier as it is for Sadon. Like, if they kept Willier down for like the first fifty games, would they also get an extra year of control on him? I know he probably had more plate he had more plate appearances than Seti did, but I don't I don't know if there's anything similar in that regard. Regardless, like I could see it because options like they have options that be more depth and they have you know major league caliber outfielders already. It just seems like. I mean, to the title of this episode's point and another comment Alex Gore made, the offseason isn't over yet just because pitchers and catchers reported. Like, they could still trade somebody. It's just it's just looking clunky in the outfield. And it's like, you know, you can, only, you can never have too much pitching, but I feel like you have too many outfielders. You definitely have too many outfielders. You can definitely have those. And that's what they have right now. There's too many mouths to feed. Well, and dude, if Roman Anthony, like, fast-tracks his way up, like people say, by the end of the year, if he, like, has a great – you know, year in double A and advances to triple A and maybe he could be a late season call up. Where is he going to play? Yeah. Seriously. As if you don't need another left-handed hitting outfielder, but like if he's really that good, which he's by all accounts seems to be like, where are they going to play him? You know, it's just, there's getting to be way too many mouths to feed, which is not a bad thing. But when you have so many other needs, it's like there's, there has to be some give here. Yeah, I mean, I think there's some guys that they probably are going to be willing to release. Like, okay, Pablo Reyes was a tremendous story last year. I'm not losing any sleep from a from a strictly from a talent standpoint if he's not on the team. Bobby, I think he's got an option left, so he could start in AAA. Um, you know, Rob, they could cut. I wouldn't because I think he's I think he's good for what he is. Um. You know, they just, they have some guys that, I mean, like, and I still also think the catching situation, like, like they, they can move some guys around to create some space on the roster. Like, it's, it's just, they're in such a weird spot. It's really clunky and they're up against the 40 man too. It's so bizarre. The off season that they've had, like we, we've talked so much about them not adding, but they also just like, don't have room on the 40 man. They have a lot of guys that people like but like aren't necessarily great, but like, how do you decide which one to get rid of? It's such, it's so clunky. It's so, it's uncomfortable, honestly. Like I'm uncomfortable looking at the 40, man. Yeah. I mean, they better not get rid of Pablo Reyes. I'm just saying that I would rather them get rid of Bobby before they get rid of Pablo. That man is electric. Get rid of like, seriously, like they, they need, they like, they need to improve on in the rotation. And I know that like releasing Pablo Reyes, 
doesn't like fill a spot for a pitcher, but like they they're up against it. Like they they're gonna have to make some difficult decisions on some players they really like. And I mean Breslow holds and probably very little relationships with any of these guys, so it's a much easier decision for him to make than if Heim was still around. But it's it's just ugly, man. Like I don't think this team is terrible. But I like look at the 40 man. I'm like, how are you up against it? But I feel so poorly about the Boston Red Sox outlook. It's so bizarre. Yeah, there isn't like anyone coming. You know what I mean? And yeah. I guess like we'll probably feel better about it once we do see the final like bullpen. And I don't know. You know, I, I get excited seeing the pitchers like throwing in spring training and you get hyped about seeing Andrew Bailey out there and just thinking about the potential. Um, I know that we, we still like, aside from the outfield situation, there's also like, who's going to actually make up the rotation. I, I feel like it's pretty solid for at least three of the guys right now. Yeah. Um, probably actually four of the guys. So really it's just the fifth spot that's up in the air. Cause we've got Gilito, obviously Bayo, obviously. And then Pavetta who, um, report came out today that he's separated himself above the other uh, pitchers kind of in that weird, you know, end of the rotation category. So he's been really separating himself. Then we, we've got Cutter, who really took a step forward last year. Um, you know, Red Sox Twitter's darling over the offseason. Um, Mariner Twitter does that, not like him. No, they don't. They do not. <laughs> so we got that fifth spot up in the air, which is between Whitlock, how can the other person up for the spot? No, it was um Oh Winkowski. Winkowski, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because um, Wink's back in the back in the mix. Yeah, but Mata's out of options. So at this point it seems like if we with never pitching in the majors, he's probably gonna be starting in the bullpen. We've got, you know, if if he makes the team that is, we have um the rule five draft pick. Um, as well, Justin Slayton, who apparently has really, really good stuff um, as well. But, but he has, has to, to start be on the, the roster. <laughs> yeah, or we send him back, which I guess is no harm, no foul, but like it's waste so of a trade clunky. if that's the case, right? So clunky. Um, so you start to fill out these spots, and it's like, is Josh Winkowski really going to start the year in AAA because they want to stretch him out as a starter? Who – we don't even – I don't even know who the first starter would be to come up if we had an issue with the rotation at that point, probably Brandon Walter. Probably. I mean, Murphy's probably going to factor in as a reliever. I would imagine unless they want to give him the similar treatment as Wink's going to get, you know, with, you know, all the pitching guys that they brought in. I don't know, man. We'll have Bernardino would be the, well, Bernardino would be the only lefty in the bullpen if that's the case. So they have to keep, you'd think they'd have to keep at least Murphy in the bullpen just as another lefty, but they, um, who did they bring in? That's a lefty reliever. That's a uh, Lucas Litke. Litke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I so, like him, but he was terrible last year. Yeah, that was his first really bad year. So yeah. it, if they can get him back on track again, worth a worth a flyer. But, you know, I think unless they get Litke back on track, it's probably going to be Murphy in the bullpen. So, I mean, you're running out of spots really fast. I think Winkowski is – if Mata makes the team, Winkowski starts in AAA. Is kind of what I look at that. I think it's those guys are interchangeable. Um, and then Slayton's probably going to be a bullpen arm up there. Zach Kelly's going to be in, in uh, AAA probably to start the year. 
Um, and that's if they don't trade Kenley. If they trade Kenley, then obviously that could change, I would imagine. Yeah, it, like, I, like I was saying with the outfield, it's so clunky because, like, you know, you have Slayton. Like, but then if Lipke makes the team, who are you getting rid of? I mean, I guess probably Mata at that point. But it's just like – You have to be someone with an option. Yeah. I mean, there's got to be guys with options. DFA, you could DFA Mata or trade him, which is possible. I mean, you could trade Kenley. But, like, imagine trading Kenley and replacing him in the bullpen with Lucas Litke. Like, it's just – it's so weird, dude. They're so – I mean, I think they do actually have a 40-man spot. So, I mean, like, Litke makes the team. Murphy could start in AAA, theoretically. I guess. I think they have 39. It's just, like, they're so up against it, man. It's so – I don't love it. I mean, the fifth rotation spot, like – I want to I want to have a little bit of stock. Like, I want to have, like, a sleeping bag outside the mansion that is Garrett Whitlock as a starter. I just don't think his body can hold up. Like, he bulked up a ton in the offseason. Like, he looks good. Like, he looks the best he has. Like, he was kind of a string bean when he got to Boston, but he's built. He's bulked up a bit. I think he's got the best stuff to be a starter. He, like, he's got more pitches than Hauk does, which is great. It, like, the ability to go deeper into games with more pitches is awesome. But I just think Hauk has separated himself too much, and Whitlock is too important to the the team to risk hurting him again trying to make him a starter when he hasn't really had a ton of success doing it. So I think it's probably going to be Hauk unless they add somebody else. Yeah, I think in you know in the case that they trade Jansen away and they need a closer, I think Hauk could move into that role. Um, you know, that would be someone I would love to see there. But they have just so many arms that can fit in that kind of hybrid role that. Hauk has experience as a starter. His biggest thing, I think we talked about this last episode, was getting that third time through the order um, and just really pitching late into games. And if that's something that Bailey thinks he can get in control, I wouldn't be surprised if they take a flyer on that because there were games that Hauk just was mowing people down, like that game in L.A. Um, when they were on the West Coast and he started off the game mowing down Shohei, Trout, and all these guys. And it was like, you know, he looked he looked electric, and then I think he gave up a ton of runs in the fifth inning or something like that. And yeah, and he, like, and he had a game he had a game on national TV against the Yankees too in the Bronx, where he went the first five. I think the first four were perfect. Gave up maybe a walk or a hit in the fifth, but he had like seven strikeouts through five. And then I think Glaber took him deep in the sixth. Honestly, Willie Calhoun got a double off of him, and like you giving up doubles to Willie Calhoun, man. Like, let's be serious. But right. I mean. Yeah, I mean, if you're if our big thing is getting is like our five starter can only go four or five, like it's really not that big of a deal. But the problem is, other than Pavetta and maybe Bayo, like I don't really see where they're. I mean, Giolito maybe, but like he had 41 homers last year. Like I can't guarantee that he's going to give them six innings to start. You know? No, totally. But you know that's. That's it for what we had for, you know, Red Sox stuff today. There wasn't a ton of stuff that went on. Um, so that'll do it. A very quick episode. We've had a lot of hour and a half, hour 20 episodes. This one's only going to be 40. So, uh, Matt, you got anything to add before we wrap it up? Yeah, I think next next week we're going to try and do a little bit more of, like, some roster forecasting perhaps and – just getting into maybe some predictions for the season, um, maybe some like wild, uh, wild predictions while it's still early enough to have those. So that's uh, a little bit to come. We have an extra bonus episode uh, dropping uh, in a couple of days here um, with a, a pretty awesome guest. So 
Um, hinted at it last episode, but excited to be able to have that conversation uh, very shortly. And, uh, you know, just last couple of thoughts was, you know, hey, Montgomery's still out there, still unsigned. Solaire has uh, signed with the Giants since our last recording, so we lost that option for the right-handed power bat. Um, we got Whit Merrifield signed with the Phillies today. We have Tim Anderson in talks with perhaps the Marlins. And I think Daniel Vogelbart uh, signed with the Blue Jays and increased their BMI by like 10,000. Um, so pretty phenomenal um, you know, signing by them. And I, I, I posted today that uh, every team needs a designated ugly fat friend. So that's, uh, that's the duff for the Blue Jays now, just to kind of boost morale for some of the other bigger guys over there. Yeah. They have Alejandro and, um, Kirk too. They got a couple. <laughs> they've got. They've got Manoa's Manoa. trimmed down. Manoa's trimmed down to his credit. He's lost some weight. He looked good in his in the video I saw of him throwing. That's fair, but uh, no, that's all I've got, man. All right, cool. So for that, for for Matt, this is Jordan. Have a great rest of your day, guys. We'll catch you next time. Peace out.